43 games. That is all it lasted for Adrian Griffin as the head coach of Giannis Dame and the Milwaukee Bucks. What a short run it was. Amber and Ian presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons with you. You can find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. And on Thursday, you can find the Celtics at the Heat. That one tips off right here on ESPN Radio at 7 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. We've got Sixers at Nuggets headed your way. That tip is at 5 p.m. Eastern. But the news out of the NBA of the day is the firing of Adrian Griffin from the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's bring in somebody who covers the Bucks. Eric Name covers the Bucks for the Athletic. And Eric, thank so much for your time. Let's just start with how we got here. They're 30 and 13. They're second in the Eastern Conference. We don't normally see teams make this sort of decision this quickly in that spot. Yeah, I mean, it's it speaks to, I think, the, the incredibly high expectations that come along with being the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, you know, you saw after last season, uh, a first round upset the Bucks decided to move on from Mike Boonholzer. At the time, Mike Boonholzer was the league's winningest coach over those five seasons. No one had won more games than him. Uh, Boonholzer won an NBA championship in 2021 with the Bucks, uh, and yet that was that was not enough. And understandably, you know, I, I think there was some thought within the building that his schemes had, had kind of run dry, and uh, you know they needed to make a change, so they did that. Uh, but as you're you're sitting here looking at kind of what the Bucks are doing this season, they are 30 and 13. Uh, they've put together the second best record in the league, or at least tied for the second best record in the league with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, but when you take a deeper dive into what they're doing, uh, I just think the the organization believes that there's a lot more room for growth and, and a real opportunity for a new coach to come in here and get them really going in the right direction, especially on the defensive end. Defensively, the Bucks have been a stalwart for the last five seasons. This year, they're, they're 22nd in defensive rating. They're giving up a lot of points. Uh, you know, just the other night in Detroit, they gave up 135 points to the 4-38 and Pistons uh, and just snuck out of there with a win. The offense looks good, but at the same time, while there has been results, uh, they still have a lot to work through with Damian Lillard and Giannis Dettacumbo and, and making sure both those guys are happy playing with each other while seeing their, their roles decrease because they're used to being the, the main guys in town. So I just think it, when you look at kind of what they've done, uh, the results are good, but the process behind it, I don't think the, the organization was in love with, uh, and that ultimately made them decide that it, it was time to move on from Adrian Griffin. All right, so was, did Griff lose Giannis or lose Dame or both? Because when you move out Drew Holiday, who's a phenomenal perimeter defender for Dame Lillard, who we know is not a great perimeter defender, your defense is going is not going to be the same. So did Griff lose either one of those superstars? I wouldn't say he lost either of them. Um, I think for both players and really for, for the roster as a whole, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I think you could kind of tell that as a group, as a team, I think overall they were hoping to to grow more during this part of the season. That I think all the players understood they went through vast personnel changes. And like you said, when you have uh, one of the best defense players in the league in Drew Holiday at point guard, and then you go to Damian Lillard who is around for his offense and most of his value is on the offensive end, 
you're going to be a, a worse defensive team. And uh, I think at shooting guard, you saw them downgrade from Grayson Allen to Malik Beasley defensively. Uh, backup point guard, same thing. Javon Carter uh, turns into campaign. And from a personnel perspective, I think throughout the roster, they understood that, hey, there's going to be some growing pains, but in the end, there should be some growth. And, and I think January was just really eye-opening. Uh, you know, they, they had that loss to the Pacers in the in-season tournament. Um, things weren't going well after that. Uh, but the Bucks won seven straight. Everything was going great. And then they got to January. And in January, they they put together a 6-5 and five record. Defensively, it's been their worst month of the season. Uh, they're, they're all the way down in 27th in defensive rating. They're giving up 120-plus points per 100 possessions. Uh anyone is scoring on them and they're doing it easily. And I just think the, the examples of the scheme, not working out uh, defensively, the scheme, not putting guys in the right spots offensively. I think it just led to discontent throughout really the whole roster where I, I wouldn't necessarily say there's a point where Adrian Griffin lost either of the stars. I, I just think overall the whole team wasn't feeling the growth that that they thought they were going to see with a first-time head coach, which they knew it was going to take some time. They knew there was going to be growing pains, but I, I just don't think they saw the growth that went along uh, with the pains that they were feeling there in January. Nobody could have looked at these roster moves in the offseason and thought this team was going to grow in the right defe- uh, direction defensively. So it just seems strange that this would be the reaction. Eric Name, he covers the Bucks for The Athletic, joining us here on Amber and Ian. You mentioned, Eric, that this change in part, you thought, was to try to make sure or ensure that Dame and Giannis were happy, that they were happy playing together. Does that mean that there's rumblings that they've been unhappy playing together? I think for both of them, it's been a massive change. Um, you look at Giannis's usage rate goes from 39% to 33% this year. Uh, Damian Lillard's, I think, went from 34 to 28, somewhere around that range. They both have gotten really used to having the ball in certain situations. You know, you look at Giannis, that's the, the greatest transition threat in the maybe in the history of the NBA, certainly in the league right now. Uh, and then you look at Damian Lillard, the the threat of him being able to knock down 30-footers and do so in transition, I think it's led to some natural uh, tension where it's, okay, well, if I'm Giannis, I want to bring up the ball because I could go get a dunk. And if you're Dame, you're thinking, well, I want to bring up the ball because if they screw up in transition, I'm going to knock down a three. And And I just think, like, that's a good example of the ways in which they weren't totally able to figure it out they weren't totally able to figure out you know who should have the ball in which situations how to keep everyone happy uh you know how to get them uh the shots that they want get them moments where they feel like they're in charge offensively uh and it's a it's a monumental task don't get me wrong these these are two players that alone served as the offensive engines for top 10 nba offenses previously uh, but but I just think, you know, as we reported more and more of this story and, and talked to more and more people, um, I just think there was a level of frustration, uh, you know, from Damian Lillard as he was trying to figure out how do I fit in here? I'm used to bringing the ball up the floor, having the ball in my hands at all times. And, you know, there's just moments where I don't feel like I'm exerting that same control over the game. And, you know, 
that's that's a tough thing to do when you have a two-time MVP in Giannis. But I just think there's there's some of those tensions that weren't weren't really confronted and were just kind of allowed to fester. And because they weren't confronted and they were allowed to fester, they just got into a spot where this Bucks team, or I guess this Bucks leadership group, just didn't feel like Adrian Griffin was doing the job. All right, Eric, on a lighter note, let's just be honest. Let's just call it as it is. Jordan Love and Green Bay and the Packers got too much attention and Giannis and the guys were angry with it, so therefore, <laughs> bam, we had to make some news. I mean, that is one heck of a theory. Um, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll have to mull it over a little bit. It, it's, it's a real thought. Um, I mean, I is think it? the Bucks were probably – they were probably feeling good, like, you know, the Packers had just got eliminated, and now it was their time to shine. Uh, but Jordan it didn't, it didn't seem like fireworks were necessary. People were ready to be paying attention. The, the Packers were done, but uh, I like where your head's at. <laughs> Obviously, just kidding. I, and, and go ahead, Amber, say what you just typed in. Go ahead, say it. Say it. Oh, no, you're not supposed to reveal that oh, on air. On, uh, dur- during, uh, the, I'm a Heat fan, Eric, and I wrote in the chat while you were talking, <laughs> Dame wouldn't have been unhappy in Miami, just saying. Uh, I had to throw that uh, out there. <laughs> this uh-huh, is all a little bit music uh-huh. to my ears, you know, this whole tension here between Dame <laughs> and Giannis. But I imagine Bucks fans hope that those guys certainly work it out. We will see if Doc Rivers, or whoever is going to be the next head coach there, can. It feels like he's the leading candidate. Do you have have any information on who's going to be taken over? Yeah, I mean, when you look at what Doc has already done with the team, I think it's really notable. Um, you know, Doc Rivers is brought in as a consultant, uh, starting with the in-season tournament. He had, he had met with Adrian Griffin. He had tried to, you know, serve as like a veteran coaching voice for for Griff to to bounce ideas off of and do some of that. Uh, so that relationship with the organization is already there. Uh, and whether or not it's, you know, a deep, uh, full knowledge of the organization or just more surface level, um, Doc Rivers has already had some of that uh, experience with the Milwaukee Bucks. So uh, I, I think when you're looking through the different candidates, he really stands out as, as someone that, you know, has a championship, has the experience of, of dealing with big personalities. You, you think back to those Celtics teams that he's had. You think of the Clippers teams that he's had, the Sixers teams that he's had. Uh, throughout his career, he's dealt with big personalities, and, and he's dealt with superstars before. And the, the fact that he's got that championship pedigree and that gravitas, you know, that experience, uh, that leadership, I think it, it really sticks out to the Bucks. Uh, so, so we'll see if it ends up getting done. Uh, but I, I really do see him kind of as the leader in the clubhouse for, for who ends up taking this job for the Bucks. Check out his stuff on the Bucks for the Athletic. Eric Name. Thanks, Eric. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, Joel drops 70. Cat dropped, what, 62 in a losing effort, which is funny. We got to get into that. Plus, more firepower now in Miami. We'll get into all of that and more coming up here on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Now Joel to the left of the key, three to shoot, three-point shot by Embiid. Got it! It's good! 59 points for Embiid! Embiid with the ball after a steal. Joel drives it down the lane. Left-hand layup. It's up and good. 70 points for Embiid. We just started a minute in, so then I was like, this is going to be a big, probably be a big number tonight. From the time I started playing, Kobe was my guy. Uh, He's the reason why I started playing. The earth was moving under Joel Embiid's feet. He sized up. Wemby said, welcome to the NBA, Rook. And then, boy, did he size him up on the court after that. That man dropped 70 points for the Philadelphia 76ers. Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons here with you. The reigning MVP did MVP-like things. Probably can't repeat his MVP, Ian, because he hasn't played in enough games. Nevertheless, probably more interested at this point, a little bit more focused yeah. On actually winning a title. That's that's the next goal here for Joel Embiid. But putting up 70 is pretty darn cool. Yeah, especially on the anniversary, as we talked about last night, of, of Kobe's 81. I mean, look, we, you try and rank, and I hate, I, hate, I hate lists like this, but I saw one earlier today. I think it was on usatoday.com. It's still around, by the way. Um, purple section, you can get some good stuff out of about, every now and then when it comes to sports. But... They had a ranking of and yeah, you know, like, like the most memorable all-time individual performances in NBA history. Wilt's mm-hmm. 100 is always going to be number one. Kobe's 81 was two. They had Joel Embiid's 70 last night as number three. Really? Yeah. Over you know Jordan's 55 in the playoffs, yeah. and I mean there were some remarkable playoff performances where I'm going, man. Regular season against a bad team, a 70-70, right? I mean, look, look. Terrible team. You can't hike your leg on 70. 70 is a – you score 70 on damn air, Amber, and that's that's doing something. But to have that third overall, I'm kind of looking at going, are we living in the moment here? Or – because Jordan's 55 in the postseason was – I mean, come on, right? Right. that's, That's unbelievable. So, but no matter what, look, Embiid hanging 70 on a Little League team is still remarkable. I mean, that is not easy to do. You had that in a win, and then we'll touch on, you know, Carl yeah, Anthony Towns. Yeah, give me Towns. a second. We'll, we will get, on we will get to what happened with Carl Anthony Towns. That's a whole different animal. That's a whole <laughs> different animal. Let's stick for a second here, though, with Embiid, because he sets a career high, which, I mean – Considering that dude's career already, that's yep. impressive. I don't care if it was against the Spurs, but a career high with 70 points, 18 boards, and five assists. He was completely overwhelming in every way against that Spurs team. That set a franchise record because it it beat Wilt's uh, record there. Uh, so it set a franchise record. I, I don't. I wouldn't put it 
third all time in the NBA because, yeah, it's a regular season game against lousy competition. But nevertheless, still impressive. And it came, and this was what was so special, on the scoring anniversary of Kobe's 81. And that's why it was so special. Joel Embiid, he was asked about that after the game. From the time I started playing, Kobe was my guy. Uh, He's the reason why I started playing uh, basketball. And it's funny because on the same night he had 81, and you know that was my favorite player. So, you no, know, when I started, I was the guys that I was looking, you know, I was looking up to, and you know that they, they were doing all this. So that wasn't the only historic thing, though, as Ian mentioned, that happened that night because last night as well, another player dropped 62. It is the fourth time mm. in NBA history, Ian, that two players scored over 60 on the same night. The difference was Carl Anthony Towns dropped 62 and lost. All right, that, that, that's <laughs> the kicker. That's the one. lost to the Charlotte, Charlotte Hornets. Hornets. Oh. Anthony Edwards was Damn. nowhere to be found whatsoever in this game. He seemed a little frustrated after that game because that team has to be AE's team. Nevertheless, I understand that Cat was hot, but... Being hot apparently doesn't actually result in the right direction in the win-loss column. Chris Finch, his head coach for the Minnesota Timberwolves, he was not happy with the loss after this one. Take a listen. Well, I mean, it was an absolute disgusting performance of defense and immature basketball um, all the way through the game. So it really didn't slip away. It had been there from the jump, so... This is what happens when you uh, have this type of approach. Disgusting (laughs) and immature is what he just called a 62-point performance in the NBA, which, by the way, of course, was a career high for Carl Anthony Towns and a franchise record as well for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I don't think he was referring to Carl Anthony Towns as immature and disgusting, right? I mean, (laughs) it was was a team that was immature and disgusting. Like, I think he was. I think he was calling the, the you know the selfish ball aspect of well, it immature uh, and disgusting. Cat had to take 40, all the baskets, but don't play both sides of the court. Yeah, but cut, don't get anybody else involved, even if you have a hot hand. So it's not an inclusive team effort. I I, I think it was all of that. Cat was, was a lot of four, look at me. He had a forty four in the first half. He right. went two for ten in the fourth quarter, and that was the problem. Two for ten. The T-Wolfies were outscored 36-18 to by the Charlotte Hornets in the fourth quarter. Anthony Edwards was watching the game. He had nine points. You know, 11 dimes, and you cannot but have nine that. points. Anthony, Anthony Edwards, who some people say is the next Kobe Bryant or the next Michael Jordan, right? Like, he's the player that we hear in those conversations about where this could go one day because everybody loves to have those conversations prematurely. But that dude is becoming the face of the league. And you can't have that dude. Yeah, You can't have that dude shrink, right? You can't have that dude watching the game. Like, that team needs to run through Anthony Edwards as great as Carl Anthony Towns was in terms of scoring that night. They're not going to win games unless it runs through Car- or Anthony Edwards. But I love the fact that Finch was like, you know what? We didn't do a damn thing. Yeah, he scored right. 62, but we took the L. And even, you know, Carl Anthony Towns after the game said, having a not like that with an L doesn't feel historic. I don't care. So he's not happy with the L. Head coach ain't happy with the L. You know Anthony Edwards ain't happy with the L. 
because you just lost to a team, what a 10 win Charlotte Hornets team when you are one of the best teams in the ballet. I love what Finch said. I mean, I thought it was absolutely spectacular. And I, I don't I don't think that was at, at Cat. I disagree with you. I think that was at the entire team. Like, you guys got caught watching this dude hit 10 of 15 from beyond the arc. And in the fourth quarter, they got lazy. They weren't moving. Including Cat, by the way. But oh, absolutely. Cat got lazy. But still. But he scored damn near 50 in the first half. The man was probably a little tired. But it's true, though. It's not. It was it. It's it was gaudy stats, and the coach only cares about actually winning games. It did not do that for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Of uh, you did not leave me any time, Ian, to talk about this Miami Heat trade. I feel like that was by design. <laughs> the Heat they got rid of. I also canceled Raja Bell tonight. Moved him to tomorrow. He's a Miami. They bring in Miami guy, <laughs> Terry Rozier. From the Charlotte Hornets, uh, it's Kyle Lowry and a protected 2027 first rounder that the Hornets get in return. The Heat, on the other hand, they get a scoring guard who's having one of his best NBA seasons, 23.2 points and 6.6 assists a game. Given not on a great team, nevertheless, it will help them some offensively. So another little weapon there for Miami. And Kyle Lowry is no more. Which Kyle Lowry. I like Kyle Lowry, but uh, some Heat fans are, are rejoicing uh, because of that. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, what's the best storyline remaining in the NFL playoffs? We'll get into it. ESPN Radio is on the ESPN app. Job better done on this night by your NFC North champion Detroit Lions who are going to the NFC Championship game with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. I envisioned that we would have a chance to compete with the big boys, and that's where we're at. All you got to do is get in. It's exciting, and not just for me, but for our whole team. And we expected to win the first game. We expected to win this game, and and now we get to go to a game we expected to be in against a really good team at their place. And um, we're going to come into it expecting to win. It'll be a tough game, but um, it'll be fun. You know, I'm finally getting that song out of my head. And Rachel brings Rachel's it back. Rachel's not going to let you. No. I just walked out of my studio to go see my kids having dinner, and I was singing this at the top of my lungs. And my wife looks at me and says, this ain't the morning. We're not having morning coffee. Why are you singing right now, <laughs> Rachel? You're welcome, Ian's wife. They're not happy. It is a banger, though. Still slaps. Whatever the kids are saying these days. No you can't idea. not have this in your head and you can't not sing it. Uh, it's just the rule when this song comes on. So I don't know how to transition from this song to the storylines in the NFL playoffs, but that's what we've got to do right now. <laughs> there are bright eyes all across the NFL playoffs. No, I don't know. So there's been a lot of really cool storylines in the postseason. Some of them have fallen by the wayside now because they've been knocked out, like C.J. Stroud's historic run here as a rookie or the resurgence of Baker Mayfield, right? Or Jordan Love, apparently the Green Bay Packers, being able to hit on a third, maybe future Hall of Famer one day at that quarterback position. There's been a lot of good storylines. There's still a lot of good storylines remaining amongst these four teams. What is the best storyline remaining alive in these NFL playoffs, we are going to open up the phone lines to you. So if you want to start lining up at some point here, chime into the conversation. We'd love to have you. Triple eight, say ESPN. Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. We'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both 
Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Before you hear our take, me and Ian's here, on what we think is the best storyline remaining, let's hear from Dan Orlovsky. ESPN NFL analyst was on first take yesterday, and he said, it's Detroit. Here's why the Lions are the best story left in the playoff. Number one, this organization and this team have given this city something that it's kind of desired or begged for forever. Pride and respect. I was there when we, it wasn't good. It was the economic downturn. Um, the, we stunk as a football team. There was a lot of embarrassment. And this fan base has just stayed with it and stayed with it and stayed with it. The fact that they have an organization now that brings pride to them, uh, a, a sense of respect. They're respected. They've won home playoff games. They have more NFC Championship Games appearances this century than the Dallas Cowboys that we talk about on a daily basis. And they got a head coach that people made fun of. They got a quarterback that people cast off. They got different players that maybe don't have household names. There's a lot of great stories left in the playoffs. This is the best one for what it represents for a city that has desperately wanted it. I I could not agree more. And I hate agreeing with, with Dano. Uh, but I'm I'm in step with him here, and let me give some context as to what sports can do to a, a community. My, my family lost our farm, our, our thoroughbred horse farm in Folsom, Louisiana, after Katrina, and man, there was no hope, nothing, zero. And that, I'm not just talking about a city of New Orleans; I'm talking about a region of the country, and there was zero, nada, zilch. The next thing you know. There's this team called the New Orleans Saints. And a blocked punt by Steve Gleason that gave not just a city, but an entire region of the country something they, that they didn't have. Hope. And it galvanized an entire, again, not city, but region. Because the New Orleans Saints are not just New Orleans' team. It spreads to Mississippi and the North Shore, right? And into Arkansas. I mean... It is, it's different. I mean, it is truly different. It's a region of this country. And man, when you have a team like the Detroit Lions that galvanizes and brings something to a community, you, you can't put it into words. So we all, yeah, so many people laughed at Dan Campbell and, you know, the biting of the kneecaps and whatnot. Th- those players, they didn't. And it was a hard first year. It was a hard second year. But then they win that last game, right, last season in Green Bay where Aaron Rodgers could not deliver that last win, which Jordan Love did, by the way, this year. And here that, that one win, you know, as Dan Campbell said, I don't care if you're a two-win team or a nine-win team or a 13-win team. You want to win the last game you play because it carries in. It carries over. And it did. You saw it this year where that momentum from that one win – in, at Lambeau, where it ain't easy to win, it carried over. And it gave an entire city something that they did not have. And I, 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 I experienced it. I mean, you know, we lost our farm. It was done. Katrina wiped it out. But a football team gave everyone, my mom, our neighbors, the reshows, you name it, man, going down the list of... I can name you everybody in the in our little town of Folsom. That Saints team and that Gleason blocked punt against the Atlanta Falcons in that first game back in the Dome after Katrina, a football team 
gave you something that you didn't have. Hope. Right. And that's the power of sports. And that is where the Detroit Lions, yeah, they've had the Red Wings and, and, and they've been great, right? But man, football is different. Football is, 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 it's just, it's got a different feel to it, right? I don't know why, but it just does. And this Lions team has given, as we talked to Dominic Rayola, 14 years with, with the Detroit Lions. We talked to Dom Rayola last night. And in case you missed it, you heard his voice crackle, right, a little bit. That's a damn Lions Hall of Famer, a Nebraska Cornhusker Hall of Famer, who gave everything he had to that city and that team. And he got emotional on us last night. Now, I've never heard that from Dom before. But it means that much to him and that city. And that's why, to me, it ain't even close. And I'm sorry to go on this on this long rant here about what sports can do, Amber, but I've experienced it on a personal basis. And so, to me, the best story going right now ain't even close for me. It's the Detroit Lions and that city and that head coach and that reclamation project as a quarterback – going to the NFC Championship game for the first time since 1991. You sold the hell out of that argument. You went full, we lost our farm, power of sports. I mean, it's hard to top that. The only reason that I'll push back at all. It is hard hard to push back on what you just sold. But the only pushback I'll give you is that the Lions story is a great storyline. But the mission, essentially, from that perspective, has already been accomplished, right? We're already seeing them do something that they haven't done since, what, the 1950s was the last time they won two playoff games or whatever the crazy 57 was the last time we saw them win two playoff games. We're already there with Detroit. They've already done these historic things. They've already brought that hope to the city. And frankly, if they lose here in the conference championship, that hope still lives on. We'll go into the next season thinking the Lions are going to be great, and they're probably going to be great going into the next season. So I feel like that hope that you give an entire city, that belief that things are trending in a new direction, that there's a new sheriff in town who has actually righted the ship in Dan Campbell, that they found their guy in Jared Goff. All of that doesn't get erased with that story ending tomorrow, right? Or this weekend on Sunday, you know, I'm figuratively speaking with tomorrow. But for me, that mission's already been accomplished. Whereas some of these other stories, the Lamar Jackson story, for example, that thing has not been accomplished because the whole thing with Lamar Jackson is always a bridesmaid, never a bride, right? We know he's an MVP. He's about to be a multi-time MVP. Can he actually win when it matters most, though? Can he actually win championships here? And it's something that Lamar is going to need to do at some point in his career. Can he do it here? Like, that story isn't complete until there's a ring on that man's finger. And to your point about the, the Lions... You know what? My mom will tell you, and uh, the Mendo family, anybody from Pittman Service Station in Folsom, Louisiana, right? I mean, I'm telling they will tell you that it wasn't the Super Bowl year of 09. Mm-hmm. It was the previous year where they went to the NFC Championship game and lost to the Chicago Bears. That was the year, the Gleason punt, right? That was the year, the block, that gave us hope. So to your point, right, with the Lions, it wasn't, the Super Bowl season with the Saints, it was just getting and having success and finding a way to deliver something to that community, that that that, that entire region, and it didn't end up with a, with a, with a with a Lombardi. It didn't end up with a right. title. It actually ended in failure, 
but you had something to do to build on to your point about the Lions. Yeah, you, they you had already delivered on. the hope. And this Lions yeah. team has delivered the hope yeah. to its community. So from that perspective, mission accomplished. There's a couple other storylines that we haven't even touched on. I mean, if Brock Purdy could go from Mr. Irrelevant to, and I know everyone gets angry, including you, when you bring up the Mr. Irrelevant thing, I just think it's cool. Like if you could go from Mr. Irrelevant to Super Bowl winner, that would be insane at that quarterback position. That it would be something clearly that we've never seen because we've never seen anybody do what Brock's done from that position as Mr. Irrelevant. So that storyline is a hell of a storyline. And that's a dude that's getting so much criticism lately that frankly, it's a little weird. I understand his performances haven't been flawless and, and there were some drops there that could have been interceptions in the divisional round, but I don't know why everyone's the so Debo injury. The Debo injury is one that we have to keep an eye on all week, whether Debo Samuel plays or does not play because that is you only ask crucial to that team damn I mean oh my gosh Magnum I mean that, that's a and big then of one. course and then of course the other big NFL playoff storyline Taylor Swift <laughs> oh lord Jason I mean Kelsey. how can we not mention Taylor Swift and the Kelsey about the Kelsey brothers now because apparently this Jason Kelsey is going to steal every show. Uh, Travis is also doing pretty well in these NFL playoffs. Jason might be doing better, even though he's not actually playing in these NFL playoffs. But the Kelsey's Taylor Swift, a down year for the Chiefs, even though maybe in a down year they win the Super Bowl. There's obviously some storylines there around Kansas City. Yeah, I think I, I think I speak for America when I say the Chiefs are definitely the best storyline remaining. Okay, well, that's, just everything I was being... surrounding them, you know, uh-huh. them beating the Bills again, those no, fraudulent Bills, no. and then the no, the, no. the Taylor Swift and Jason Kelsey stuff, <laughs> and Travis throwing up the heart after that. the touchdown, and you know, it being a down year uh-huh. and for Patrick Mahomes and uh-huh. and the Chiefs. Did you just hear Ian's story the... about his farm? Yeah, I don't care. Getting destroyed uh, by Chiefs Katrina. The best, the best story. <laughs> Coming up next, we want to hear from you guys. Is it Brock Purdy? Is it Lamar Jackson? Is it Taylor Swift? What is the best storyline remaining in these NFL playoffs? We will get to your phone calls. Triple eight, say ESPN. That's next. Job better done on this night by your NFC North champion Detroit Lions who are going to the NFC Championship game with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. I envisioned that we would have a chance to compete with the big boys, and that's where we're at. All you got to do is get in. It's exciting, and not just for me, but for our whole team. And we expected to win the first game. We expected to win this game, and and now we get to go again. We expected to be in against a really good team at their place, and um, we're going to come into it expecting to win. It'll be a tough game, but um, it'll be fun. You could have Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, go from Mr. Irrelevant to Super Bowl winner. You could have Lamar Jackson, an MVP, probably about to be a multi-time MVP, finally get the monkey off his back and actually win a ring. You could have Taylor Swift attending the Super Bowl. These are all storylines that are still alive right now in the NFL playoffs. And then, oh, by the way, of course, there is, in fact, the Detroit Lions, who I think has become America's team, as we have seen them so downtrodden for so many decades, and they are finally winning in the biggest ways for their fans. Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons with you here on Amber and Ian, presented by Progressive Insurance. You can chime in. What is the biggest storyline remaining in these NFL playoffs? Triple eight, say ESPN. Let's go to the phone lines where we find Dan calling us from Arizona. Hey, Dan, thanks for the call. Go ahead. 
I just, uh, you know, I, I got to push back on you a little bit because I think everybody's number one storyline has to be T-Swift. And the reason is because of two of her songs, Shake It Off and Love Story. Because the Lions have shaken off the same old Lions. They're the brand new Lions. And it's honestly a love story between that city and Dan Campbell. Thanks for the call, Dan. We've asked the question every year. Can he make it on the big stage? Brock Purdy, we had a little bit of that last year. The Chiefs are always going to the Super Bowl. The Lions are new. The Lions are the storyline. And they're not done yet. Yeah, they've, they've satiated some of that. We want something in Detroit. Come on, give us something, Lions. They're not done yet. I like the that's, swerve that's the there. I like the swerve that it was, swerve. he started with Taylor Swift. The other? Yeah. And he then he came and then he brought it around to Detroit. And he made even T-Swift about the Detroit Lions. It was well done. Good call there by Dan. Also, Good job on the ones and twos here by Rachel getting some T-Swift into the show. Triple Eight, say ESPN. That's where we find our friend Terrence calling us from Georgia. What do you have for us tonight, Terrence? All right. Here, here's, here's my picks, Kansas City. I'm going to go Detroit in the Super Bowl. That, that's the big story. Kansas City, nobody gave a shot because they thought they were, they were done. But with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, ne- we're never done. Never. So are this so the biggest storyline is it Kansas City or is it Detroit? Kansas City. Uh, oh, it is Kansas City. Yeah. No, okay, nobody it's everyone. Gave ca- a, nobody gave a shot. Okay, it's everyone counting out Kansas City on a down year. Yeah. I mean, that probably Terrence is has a the bigger answer. Yeah, we, it may be a, a bigger. Okay, all right, calm down there, James. He's my uh, favorite it, caller. I just want to make sure because uh, he placates to you, James Steele, as the resident Chiefs fan in the building. Uh, the down the down year by the Chiefs is funny, but it's only funny. It's only a great storyline if they make it past the AFC Championship because we've seen them in this game too many times. So right now, it's not one of the best storylines, I wouldn't say. It would be funny, though, if it's this season and we spent so much time wasting our breath about how the Chiefs just don't look right and then they just end up at a Super Bowl again. Yeah, and then that's the most remarkable part. We were talking about this in our pre-show meeting, Amber, where the Chiefs, here they are again in the AFC Championship game, where they dropped more passes than any other team in the NFL. And we're all, all wondering, how did they get here? How, how were they able to do it where a month ago they were written off? Well, how they do it? Running game, Mahomes still being Mahomes, and the defense, which does not get enough credit, in my opinion. Steve Spagnola and that defensive side of the ball, and Justin Reed and Chris Jones, they deserve a Leo Chanel out of Wisconsin has been sensational. They deserve a hell of a lot more credit. So we wonder how the Chiefs get here on a down year where they weren't supposed to be here. Well, again, here they are, AFC Championship game, and it wasn't about this high-flying offense. It was more to me about a running game and a defense and Mahomes not giving up on his guys. It'll be so but annoying. Best story still, by far, bar none, to me, ain't even close. It's the Detroit Lions. Not even close. 
It's not close to the Lions story. I agree with you there. Plus, the Chiefs story is just an annoying story. Uh, I'm annoyed by this. I'm done. I'm done with the Chiefs. All right, let's get the Ravens in the Super Bowl over the Chiefs. It's a better story. Sorry, James. James. We've seen your story. James jumps back on the mic to go and and fight back. We've seen your story time and time again, buddy. Let's go back to the phone line. Triple A. There we go. Say ESPN. Josh is calling us from Alabama. Josh, what's the best story right now in these NFL playoffs? I think the best storyline right now is uh, Detroit and uh, with their history with uh, Barry Sanders, uh, even Matthew Stafford poured his heart in, into that city and uh, uh, that community. And I heard Eric Kramer's story the other day. Of course, he played for the Lions. And what a powerful story that was. Uh, but I think Detroit and uh, the way they carried this, uh, their city and even some of the country uh, – even if they don't make it past the uh, NFC Championship, what they, what they've done is remarkable, in my opinion. It is remarkable because it's been—I mean, none of us have seen it in our in our lifetimes. Which that in and of itself is remarkable. We're seeing something, unlike the Chiefs, who we're tired of. The Lions, it's like a breath, of, a breath of fresh air. Plus, we've seen Ian. We've seen the struggle. We've all witnessed it time and time again. Yeah, look, I've witnessed it in my lifetime. It was just my first sophomore year at Alabama the last time they were in an NFC championship game. You have to go all the way back to 1991. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, what they did in the draft, I mean, hitting on your your top four picks, as we talked about last night, doesn't happen. And and then you go back to last year. You you hit on, what, three of your top four in the previous year. That's rare. And here they are galvanizing an entire city behind a reclamation quarterback and a head coach where everyone laughed at his press conference, man, it, it's, it doesn't get much better. Can you imagine the Lions in the playoff, in, in the Super Bowl? I mean, the storylines, they, they run so deep. Amber, it's insane. And, of course, I have my youngest daughter who's sitting on a, on a $25 win ticket to win the NFC. I'm going to have to fly her out to Vegas to cash a damn ticket because she, right. she won't let me go without her. There's no chance <laughs> if they win this game on Sunday. Good excuse for your kid to go to Vegas as well. Uh, It it will be all of a story if the Lions end up making it to a Super Bowl. Of course, San Francisco might have something to say about that. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, we'll get back to the Milwaukee Bucks, firing their head coach after just 43 games. Amber and Ian is on ESPN Radio.